Good morning, Hope Church. Uh, my name's Andrew. It's always a joy to, to speak to you and to join you in worship. And um, so I'm coming from Lexington, Kentucky today. Many of you know me, know our story, know that I'm obviously from Hope Community Church. And I just want to say on behalf of uh, Commonwealth City Church, a church that you've helped plant, uh, just thanks, 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 thanks uh, for all the ways that you've been faithful and you've been a a cheerleader for us. Um, it's a joy to be with you this Pentecost Sunday. And as we get started, I just want to open us up in a word of prayer. Um, dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, the, the, the gift you've given us in your spirit. Um, what happened that 50th day after your crucifixion um, still uh, has unbelievable ripple effects and unbelievable empowerment into our life. I wasn't present in an upper room to receive your spirit. But based on my confession and belief and trust in you, confident that I have it, that we have it, all those who believe in you. And we're just grateful for that truth. Pray today that you just give us um, great insight into how your spirit uh, grows us and matures us as followers of you. Um, and just teach us, Jesus. Just teach us the way that only you can. Uh, how to grow and mature and become more like you by the way that we put our trust in your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2 today. Um, it's a little background to Acts chapter 2 is, is the apostles and the disciples of Jesus had gathered and they were told to wait to receive the spirit. Now I know in a couple, a couple weeks prior you all have talked about the role the Holy Spirit's going to play. Uh, we've done, we're going to do a little bit of review of that. Um, but I just want to catch us up to where we are in the story, that the apostles are gathered together waiting to receive um, something from Jesus. They don't know what they're getting into, uh, but what they're getting into changes the world. And so in verse, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, it's the day we're celebrating today, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven like a, a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we find out later as we read down in this text that those tongues actually were that they could communicate the message of Jesus and that people from all walks of life could hear them in their own language. Okay, this you don't get the picture that, that what they were saying was some unknown language. It actually uh, might have been unknown to them, but it was readily present and readily receivable from the other people. Now, let me give you a little background on what's going on. Uh, the Jewish culture celebrated the, the Pentecost, which was 50 days. Now, you might uh, be up on your prefixes, but the word penta, so much like Pentagon, our building in Washington, D.C., that has five sides, or if you're down with your third grade geometry lessons. A pentagon is a five-sided shape. Um, the word penta is the word five, and Pentecost uh, means 50. So it's 50 days after Passover. Now, uh, the Jewish people were people that celebrated festivals all the time. They would celebrate festivals leading up to, to Passover, and they would celebrate festivals from Passover. And so this 50th day of Pentecost, uh, this 50th day, which they called Pentecost, was a day that the Jewish people from all walks of life from all nations in Judea and, and around Jerusalem would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate their faith. It was at this gathering of thousands upon thousands of people that the Holy Spirit became known, 
uh, and became available so that they might hear in their own language, from their own tongue, the message of Jesus. Now we know in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Apostle Paul says that many of you saw Jesus with your own eyes after he was resurrected. In fact, he goes on to say as many as 500. But there were a lot more than 500 people present at this event. In fact, we know if we were to read down in Acts chapter 2 that thousands upon thousands became added to the family of God through their faith in Jesus, not through their Jewish heritage at this event. Um, when we see that the Holy Spirit arrived at this event to really display who Jesus is, um, it, it's not accidental or coincidence that this was the event uh, that the Spirit of God chose to show up to make himself known and to really make the message of Jesus known. As we look and through the book of Acts, if we were to have time to go through all 28 chapters, we would see that 64 times in those 28 chapters, the Spirit of God is uh, a part of the story. And he is not just this, like, we're going to talk about this in a second. He's not just this kind of odd external force. Like, he is a present participant. Now, the book of Acts gives us this historic understanding of the Spirit-filled life. But what about now? I think when we read the book of Acts and we see the journey that the Holy Spirit went and in, in not just participating with the founding, but founding himself, the early church, we ask the question, well, what about now? What is the gift that the Spirit is to the church now, to the people of God in the world? And that's what we confess. We confess that the Holy Spirit is a gift to the church. And when I say church, I don't mean a building. You know, sometimes when we think of church, we think of the little hand game that you play as kids, like here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. You know, we think of the church as this physical building made of bricks or wood or, or in our case, you know, metal siding um, up, up the road here. We think of the church as a space or a place when in reality the church is a people and the Holy Spirit was a gift to the people of God. So we're going to ask three questions today. One's going to be reviewed, this first one, who is the Spirit? The second one is how do we receive him and how do we grow in him? The first is we recognize that the Spirit of God is a he. We're going to refer to him as that the rest of the time today. He's a he. Um, a couple weeks ago, a young pastor at our church who's actually in, in a seminary course uh, preached, and he uh, was preaching through um, the end of the book of Colossians, and he accidentally referred to the Spirit as an it. And when we were reviewing his uh, sermon afterwards, it's just a little constructive review, uh, I brought up, I said, hey, you know, be careful to call the, not to call the Holy Spirit an it might hurt his feelings. He's a he. And I said that kind of jokingly and obviously with a lot of grace, uh, but he was grieved that he had given the, you know, missed the, the opportunity to refer to the Holy Spirit as a he. He called him an it. I say that to you to say, we can sometimes make the same mistake in our minds. Um, when we refer to him as a he, when we recognize his personhood, it requires us to recognize his presence. If the Holy Spirit remains an it to us, then it's easy for us to to kind of keep him out in left field, um, to kind of keep him isolated from us, and to kind of keep him as, as this kind of odd or unique third party that's involved in the scriptural story. But the reality is he's a he. How do we know uh, about his personhood? Is that he speaks. I mentioned earlier in the book of Acts, 64 times that he shows up in the book of Acts. 36 of those times, it talks about his speaking. Like people hear him. Now here's what else is crazy. He doesn't speak in a uniform way. Sometimes he speaks in feelings. Sometimes he speaks in thoughts. Sometimes he speaks audibly. Sometimes he speaks through other people. 
Sometimes he speaks through his word. Sometimes he speaks through nature. He speaks in tons of different ways to get our attention. I, I love the mentality that, um, that John chapter 10, that Jesus gives us. He says that he's the good shepherd and that his sheep, they know his voice. Uh, one of the things I think we misconstrue a lot in our, in our Christian journeys and our faith journeys is that we think there's some skill that we have to develop in order to hear the Holy Spirit, in order to hear Jesus. And the truth is, the Bible says the only skill we need to hear Jesus is to be a sheep, is to be a follower, is to be one that he calls his own. And he's able enough and capable enough to communicate to us in the way that he needs to to get our attention. You know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, certain Christian groups can treat him like he's this mystical force that always reveals himself through intense emotions or strange coincidences. And other groups um, can kind of ignore him altogether. I've heard it said before, and I actually laughed at this when I read it, that there are some people that believe in the Holy Spirit like I believe in my pituitary gland. I know it's there and it serves a purpose, but I can't tell you at all what it actually does. The reality is, is neither of those are the correct posture when it comes to understanding the Holy Spirit. So to answer our question, who is he? We look at the Bible. The Bible refers to him as a counselor. And, and a counselor in multiple ways. One can be a legal sense and one can be a therapeutic sense. If you've ever heard the word counselor in legal terminology, it's synonymous with the word lawyer. That uh, you would hear a judge say, counselor, approach the bench. Or counselor, speak on behalf of your client. When the Holy Spirit becomes our counselor or is our counselor, he is one that speaks on our behalf. In fact, in this legal dynamic, our counselor that is the Holy Spirit would say on our behalf, no, this is not the guilty party. He has been declared innocent and the penalty of his sin will be paid by Jesus. You know, so he is the one that redirects the penalty that's required from us because of our sin into the work of Christ. He's also a counselor in a therapeutic sense. Uh, the Bible says time and again that he comforts us, that he guides us, that he laments with us, that he is sympathetic with us. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Well, what does he help us with? Well, whatever you need help with. Um, the, the Bible says that we are to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. It doesn't say what kind of cares. It just says that we have a Holy Spirit who cares about what we care about. He is our helper. He empowers us and he sends us. In John 17, um, Jesus prays a prayer that actually includes me and you. Did you know that John 17 is where you became a Bible story? Tyra, did you know that? It's where no. you were in the Bible. And it's, it's where we're in the Bible when Jesus starts to pray about all those that will believe in him in the future. And he prays that they are unified and that they are sent into the world in the same way that he is sent into the world. And the Holy Spirit is what empowers and sends us. Uh, one of the last things, and there are so many more we could talk about, but one of the last things we'll focus on today is he always testifies to Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit always bears witness and points himself to Christ. J.I. Packer, a famous theologian, uh, used an analogy about the Washington Monument. He said when he would drive into the city of Washington, D.C. at night, um, that the way they have architecturally constructed is that from so many different angles, you can visibly see the Washington Monument, this tall, ivory, sparkling needle up into the Washington skyline. All these lights are on it and they're illuminating it for all to see. Now, one of the things we don't realize is that there are hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even millions of dollars, spent in the lighting system to perfectly illuminate the Washington Monument. 
But I bet you this, if you were to drive into Washington tonight at 10 o'clock and you were to see the Washington Monument lit up, not a single one of you would say, can you believe all those lights? <laughs> we would all be amazed. We would all fix our eyes on the spectacle that is this shining monument in the dark sky. We wouldn't notice the lights. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Our monument is Jesus. And he does the work of always perfectly illuminating and shining the light on Christ. So that's who he is. How do we receive him? How do we receive the Spirit? The book of Acts, we see historically that there was a group of people gathered in an upper room and they fell on him. The Holy Spirit fell on them. We see further on in the book of Acts that as people received Christ, put their faith and trust in him, that they received the Spirit. But we're actually going to look to Galatians chapter 3 to answer this question today. In Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses, I believe it's 1 and 2, um, it says, O foolish Galatians, that's a good start for Paul, what has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing with faith? Paul starts off quite kind, doesn't he? Hey, hey, foolish Galatians, hey dummies. Uh, it's not the most kind language, but he does so to get their attention. And then he challenges them with a game-changing question. How did you receive the Spirit? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Did you receive it by, did you receive him by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is really important for us because a lot of times in church, Especially in our faith journeys, we talk about spiritual gifts, we talk about spiritual fruit, we talk about spiritual growth and maturation on all the time. And if we are honest, most of us think that we get to those places, greater spiritual fruit, greater spiritual maturation, greater spiritual gifts by better behavior and better um, adherence to the Bible. Now, the Bible does give us plenty of things to pay attention to and how we're to grow as a Christ follower, and we'll get into that. But I think sometimes we can get derailed into exactly what the Galatians thought, that it's the works of the law that invite the Spirit in our life. It's, the, it's our works. If we go to church more, if we pray more, if we give more, if we read our Bibles more, if we sin less, we will become more spiritual. This is a dangerous way of thinking because how we receive the Spirit tells us everything we need to know about what's going to be our third question, how we grow in Him. If you initially receive the Spirit by believing, which is what we see in the Bible, putting your faith in Jesus, why would you think that growth in the Spirit would be achieved in any other way? And so our last question is, how do we grow in the Spirit? How do we grow in Him? The Spirit of God gives us a new identities. It gives us new identities. We are now members of a new kingdom. Now, we talk a lot in Christian life, and even as evangelists, we talk about people being saved. And, and that's perfectly okay vocabulary. But the concept of people being saved is actually not the majority vocabulary in the scriptures. When Jesus talks about the conversion of someone's soul, I can't remember exactly what the ratio is, but it's, it's, it, he doesn't very often talk about people being saved. What he talks about is people entering the kingdom, is that they have now been born into or they enter a, a new kingdom where they have a new king and are benefactors of a new covenant. So what we have to realize is that when we receive the Spirit, what He makes us is a new member of a new kingdom, a fully redeemed and restored spiritual creature. Growth in the Spirit of Christ isn't us becoming more knowledgeable about like, um, you know, the black and white or red letters in your Bible. 
Growth in the Spirit is us becoming more experienced in the biblical story that we're invited to live within. You know, this, there's this theme over the whole Bible. It's creation, it's fall, it's redemption, or, or you know, like, like restoration, or it's redemption and salvation, and then it's restoration or new creation. And, and the reality is, is that same story arc is in my life and it's also in yours. I was created. I have a story of brokenness and failure. I have been redeemed and restored, and I am now already made new and awaiting a new creation that all of us get to live in. Our growth is about us becoming more experienced in that story. We might not get any more books of the Bible written, as Revelation tells us, but don't think for a minute that God's finishing writing, finished writing stories. He's writing mine, and he's writing yours. So how do we grow? We grow in the Spirit through this process called sanctification. Now, that's a big church word. Um, but the word sanctification literally just means we grow in the Spirit by being made more holy or being made more to look like Jesus. You only bring a faithful yes to the equation of being made more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the rest. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, if you want to know the will of God for your life, it's this, that you become more like Christ, that you are sanctified. He wants to reshape your character and your identity and becoming more like Jesus. And then what you do flows out from there. Are your spiritual disciplines important? Absolutely, because they flow out of your new identity. They don't create your new identity. They are the overflow of your new identity. We should love the word of God because of who Christ has made us to be. We should love our time of prayer and communion with him because of what we know Jesus to be for us. Those moments of communion and discipline happen as an overflow, not in order to gain. In fact, all throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, when it comes to this concept of God's will, um, it is less about a series of singular decisions and more about a way of life. Let me put it to you clearly. God's will is less like opening a door and more like staying on a path. Um, I think so many times in our lives we think about, I want to be in God's will, I want to be in God's will, I want to be in God's will, as this moment where we come to a door and we want to open the right one, and who we're supposed to marry, what job we're supposed to have, um, you know, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act, when the reality is, and especially if you read the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs, being in God's will is about our character and our identity keeping us on the right path that we walk, as Galatians would say, with the Spirit and the new identity that he's given us. We mentioned the Washington Monument earlier, that that's something that catches our eyes. The truth is, as those of us that follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit would invite us to constantly and continually stare at who he is and to recognize what he's done for us. J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina, he says, the fire of to-do in a Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done in Christ. So when we talk about, when Paul asks us the question, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it by works of the law or was it by faith? I think we can read that as like a drive-by, but really to let that sink into my heart, I don't get more of Jesus because I check all the boxes in the Christian life. I get the most of Jesus that I can get when I put my faith and trust in him. And then it's because of that that I'm invited to know the God I fully trusted and fully received more in the way that I practice my spiritual disciplines.
with the way that I practice my spiritual disciplines is the fire that comes from the fuel of what Christ has done for me. And so our conclusion to those three questions, we've asked who he is, how do we receive him, and how do we grow in him? Our, our conclusion is this. If I were to ask you if you would rather have Jesus standing beside you as you parent, as you're a spouse, as you go to work, or the Holy Spirit in you, what would you rather have? Now, some of you are biblical scholars, and you've said, I know the right answer to this. I would rather have the Holy Spirit in me. But really think about that. Like, if you could go to Jesus' church every Sunday, wouldn't you rather do that? Like, if you could say, all right, if I know that my carpool ride is going to be Jesus, I know that he's going to be sitting at my desk with me at my work, I know that he's going to be parenting, he's going to be at all the little league games with me, cheering on my son or my daughter and their sport or in their hobby, I know all these things are going to be happening, Wouldn't why would I not rather have him than Christ, than the Holy Spirit in me? Well, the problem is, is that Jesus said himself, that it's actually to our advantage that he go and that he give us his spirit. And if Jesus himself says that we're better off with the spirit in us than with him beside us, then shouldn't we take that to the bank? Shouldn't we trust that? So what does it mean in our conclusion of the advantage we have in the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to leave you with this. It's this, that who he leads you to, what he asks of you, and where he takes us is the greatest gift that he can give to us as a church. How we're able to live out our life of worship to the one that saved us is the greatest gift that he can give us as the church of Jesus. And so my question as we come to a conclusion is this spirit that we've talked about, the one you know, the one you've received, and the one that's longing for and leading your growth and your spiritual maturation, your sanctification, what is he asking of you? How is he asking you to be more generous? How is he asking you to be more faithful? How is he asking you to parent? How is he asking you to be a loving spouse and a sacrificial spouse? How is he asking you to be a neighbor? How is he asking you to be a member of the faith family at Hope Community Church? How is he asking you to be a coworker? And when we start to realize that the will of God for our life is us being on a path, not just with Jesus, but with the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us, we start to pay attention that what he's asked us to do has kingdom implications that are ripple effects to the ends of the earth. And so our encouragement as we celebrate this Pentecost Sunday, as we grow in the things of the Spirit, is to say, okay, my surrender is to put my faithful yes on the table and say, I'm going to say yes to what the Spirit's asking me to do. And so as we end today, what's he asking you to do? How is he asking you to live? And who is he asking you to be that's obedient to him, that's surrendered to him, and that trusts him with your faithful yes? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you for uh, just who your Spirit is to us and, and what he's done for us, what, what he points us to. Um, to recognize that you've done for us. And Jesus, we just pray that as we go from here, um, that we put our faithful yes on the table and we say yes to any way the Spirit would guide us. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.